2 Samuel 19 is where I'd like you to turn, and you can find that in your Bibles on page 319, 319 in the Pew Bible provided for you. There's also an outline in your bulletin that will help you if you want for following the sermon. Is that light still flashing, or is it, is it gone? Did y'all see that, or am I making that up? Yeah, We were trying to have a strobe light for the college kids that are back home, just trying to make you feel like we're hip. If you're new to us, we are in the middle of a series, right in the middle of the book of 2 Samuel, I guess towards the end now, and it's been on the story of David. And if uh, I'm, I'm going to help you catch up to where we are in just a few seconds so you'll know uh, how to follow along today. But it's our practice to, and we've been in this series for a long, long time, just to turn to the next page and, and preach through texts of the Bibles because all of God's Word, every single word is part of the whole counsel of God and important and necessary for life and godliness. So we're just in a series. But here's, here's the series. David was God's anointed king. And he was called the man after God's own heart. And he was a wonderful king until he wasn't. Because David, like us, David's a sinner. And David sinned egregiously against the Lord. He saw another woman bathing and he liked her. And because he's king, he thought he could have her. And he took her to be his own wife. Her name was Bathsheba. And he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And the outworkings of David's sin, the ripple effects have continued to just go further and further or farther and farther or whatever my English teacher would have me say right there. Further, thank you. Further and further. And David has lost the moral high ground in his leadership. David is at lost with, he's lost with himself. He doesn't know quite what he's doing. He's been run out of the city. His own son uh, uh, Absalom has tried to, to have a coup and take over the kingship. So David has been expelled from the kingdom, running for his life. Absalom tried to ascend to the throne, but he didn't, uh, he wasn't successful. Absalom was killed. And now David is going to make his way back into the kingdom as the still rightful king who tried to have his reign usurped by Absalom, his son, all on account of the outworkings of David's own sin. The consequences of sin are so destructive. We're going to see in this text, because David is known as a forerunner to King Jesus. Jesus is of the line of David. Jesus is the greater David. We're going to see here what it looks like one day when King Jesus will return, and he will return. Even though we look at fallen, sinful David, it paints for us in this text a picture of what the kingship of Jesus is, even though David's fell short of it, and what it's like to have a king that's going to return, and Jesus is going to return. Look with me, Second Samuel 19, starting at verse 9. It's a lot of verses, but I'm going to explain it to you. Then the king, oh, sorry, I'm on the wrong page. And now Israel 
had fled every man to his own home. We're in 2 Samuel 19, verse 9, right? And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king, they're talking about David here, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land from Absalom, his son. But Absalom, whom we appointed, uh, anointed over us as king, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent his message, uh, this message to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not bone of my flesh? Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of my army from now on in the place of Joab. And David swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite from Bahurim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the, house of the, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, son of Gerah, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. And he said to the king, Let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to bring down to meet my lord the king, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do not I know that I am this day king over all Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride over it on it to go with the king. For your servant is lame. Uh, my servant has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Do what, therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has safely has come safely home. 
Now, Barzillai, the Gileadite, had come down from Rogalim, and he went over on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? But let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant Chimham. Let him go over with the Lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. And all that you desire of me, I will do for you. Then all the people of the, went over the Jordan, and the king went over. And the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. All right, that's a lot, but that is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you and ask you to be our teacher. Help us to understand and be transformed by your holy word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some returns are glorious and they bring such joy and anticipation to our hearts. Others bring fear and dread to our hearts. Think about it. When a child is coming home from college and you're so excited that you're watching on Find My Friends as they drive down I-20 and just wondering how long it takes to get home, you're so excited about that child returning. Your heart is filled with joy and anticipation. Or I'm a sucker for those soldiers who come home from war. And the family's waiting and they're just overwhelmed with excitement and emotion as the one comes back from deployment. Or maybe not so good. When I was a little boy and I'd been bad, and my mom would say, wait till your father comes home. <laughs> and that sense of anticipation knowing when dad comes home, there's going to be a reckoning. I'm in trouble. Some returns bring joy, some bring fear and apprehension. Think about if you're the people of Israel. David was the rightful king, he was gone. Absalom tried to become king, he was killed. Now King David is coming home. Can you imagine the feelings and apprehension in their hearts at the return of the king? We don't know how they all felt, but I ask you this question this morning. Are you ready for the return of your king, the king of kings? David paints a picture for us here of what it's like to know the king is coming back and what the king is like and how we're supposed to respond to it. Now, understand this. This is very important. David 
is a sinner just like us. His moves in this text are politically expedient. He is not doing this with a pure heart. David is calculated, he is cold, he's making decisions that are going to put him back on the throne. But nevertheless, David points for us to Jesus, who is the king returning. And we see in David a picture of our king, even though David and his motives and his, his uh, decisions are purely political and selfish. Not all bad, but not pure like King Jesus. With that in mind, I want us to see this picture of our king who is coming back. I'm asking four questions of this text. Number one, is Jesus really your king? Now, it, it might seem like an odd question to start out with because the question would be asked of these people, is David really your king? Well, of course he's king. He was anointed by God. He is the king. And yet, in their hearts, they had enthroned King Absalom as king, and guess what? It failed him. And it's a picture, isn't it, of you and me who know that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet, I mean, we know it or we wouldn't be here worshiping him today. And yet, at every moment of the day, I'm inclined to put a new king on the throne of my heart. And sometimes that king is me. I mean, think of how we have sold our souls to politicians and presidents who we hoped would be our kings, only to be disappointed because they cannot be the king of kings. The question I ask you this morning, is Jesus functionally your king? Is he on the throne of your heart and is he ruling and reigning there? And Are you glad and, and in, in submission to him as king of your heart? i got to tell you, I put all kinds of kings on my heart, as they did with Absalom. We're like children at a soccer game. Up at the Y, when our kids were young and they were playing soccer, and they're out there playing, and they're about to score a goal, and a plane goes over. And, they, and, and they're just so distracted. We're so easily distracted by the false kings that we tend to try to put on the throne of our hearts, and they always fail us. Don't forget Absalom was killed. Jesus is the king. Is he really the king of your heart today? Secondly, I ask you this question. What are the characteristics we see in David which remind us, although fallen, of our king, King Jesus, his reign? The first is he's a king who comes in judgment. He's a king who comes with retribution. He's a king who does not overlook our wrongs, but in his role as judge, he will make all things right. He is returning, King Jesus, and he's a king of judgment. Now, where is this in this text? Well, we see it here with David in these two fellows, Amasa and Joab. Now, Joab was king of David's, uh, commander of David's army. Amasa was commander of uh, Absalom's army, the rival th uh, army that tried to, to, to take over the kingship. But David had explicitly said, do not kill Absalom. And Joab went against David's specific command and he killed Absalom. So now when David's coming back, he looks over at Amasa, the king of uh, uh, Absalom's commanding of, of his army, 
and he says, Joab's out. Amasa, you're now commander of my army. Now, again, politically expedient, maybe not wise, probably not wise, but David is saying, there's a reckoning, Joab. You didn't do what I told you to do, and you will pay for it. It reminds us of King Jesus who has said that one day we will all give an account for every deed that we have done, every word we have said will be brought before the judgment. They had all committed cosmic treason of their king as we have in ours, and one day we're going to have to give an account for it. Well, that's not good news so far. Because the next thing you see, which is really good news, is this same king that will hold us accountable is also very exceedingly merciful. Where do we see this? Well, first of all, you see David did not wipe out all his enemies in that moment. Coming back to the throne, he could have wiped out all those warring tribes that that came against him. Instead, he does not. He shows leniency. And then Amasa, commander of Absalom's army, instead of being decapitated in that moment, David brings him over and doesn't kill him in that moment. Shimei comes next. Now, who is he? Remember, just a chapter or so ago, David has been expelled from the kingdom. He's he's wandering around in the wilderness, and, and Shimei comes, and he starts hurling curses at David, the Lord's anointed. He's He's yelling expletives at him. And Abishai, who's with David, says, kill him now. And David says, no, no, maybe maybe these curses that are coming at me, I deserve. And he takes a position of humility there, and he says, maybe the Lord is sending him to pronounce his judgment upon me. So David does not kill Shimei in that moment. Don't for a second think that Shimei has had this conversion experience, even though his repentance is really beautiful here. He knows, I've cursed the king, and the king is coming back. I'm a dead man. So he goes out to the king, and David shows him mercy. Our king is a king of judgment, but he's also a king of mercy. Interestingly, too, Abishai is right. Kill him, David. He's the one that cursed you. And Shimei did deserve death, but he was shown mercy. Another word you should circle in your Bibles here is the word adversary. Because David says in this moment, Abishai, why are you being the adversary here? I'm not going to take his life today. It should remind you of something. That the devil is called the adversary of our souls. He's the accuser of our souls. He stands before God and he says, unclean, unclean, unclean. They deserve your wrath. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I and my righteousness have made them clean. They are as righteous as me. Get away, adversary. We see that here in our text as well. We also see not just that he brings judgment, not that he's merciful and he's so merciful here, but he's also gracious. Next person to come on the scene is Mephibosheth. Now, what's his story, remember? Mephibosheth was son of Jonathan. When the nurse was running out of the, uh, the, the castle uh, one day, um, he, she dropped Mephibosheth when he was a little boy, and he became crippled in that moment, helpless for the rest of his life. 
David, who is taking the, the, the throne from Saul, and Saul's son is Jonathan, David should have, mostly would have, if it hadn't been that man after God's own heart, wiped out everybody in Saul's kingdom, including Jonathan. But David had made a covenant with Jonathan. And because of his love for Jonathan, he said, I'm going to be faithful to all your descendants, including Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was deceived. His servant, Ziba, uh, connived a plot against Mephibosheth, saying, hey, don't you go out, saddle the donkey, and go with David the king. Stay here. And then Ziba went to David and said, uh, Mephibosheth has stayed in the city because he's on Absalom's side. David shows up and sees Mephibosheth, and he shows him grace again, learns that Mephibosheth did not side with Absalom but was deceived. But here is David acting like our gracious king. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. He is gracious to Mephibosheth. Next, he initiates peace. Notice that it was David who sent word to Judah and Israel saying, why should you wait so long to bring me back? I'm coming back. Will you receive me? He initiates peace. Just as God does with us. God initiated with Abraham. God showed up with Hagar. God appeared to Moses in the bush. God appeared to Joseph and Mary. God came in Jesus Christ incarnate in the flesh to be God with us. God is always initiating peace with us, even though we are his enemies because of our sin. And David reaches out to the people. And by the way, he does it through two priests. They are his ambassadors. He says, go tell the people, why should you wait to bring me back? And God sent Jesus, his son, the priest to come to us and he sends messengers and prophets to us to come and negotiate terms of peace through his blood. He initiates peace with us and he did so in this example as well. Friends, Christianity is the only religion, the only world religion in which God initiates with us in his grace. This is what our king is like. Next, he pursues us in love. He sent his priests to say to them, you're my family, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are one, come in love. I want you to know that I am not here even though you're an adul adulterous, a treasonous people. I'm coming to you in love to draw you back to myself. It says that he won the hearts of the people. That's how Jesus does with us. Our hearts are hardened against him. We've committed treason against our king. He initiates peace with us and he woos our hearts. As Hosea said that Go he did with Gomer, he brought us out and spoke tenderly to us and he allured us back to himself with love. This is how God pursues us in love. Last two things here, he rewards faithfulness. There's this character, Barzillai. We'll talk about him in just a second again. But he was the one who came in Mahanaim and he brought food and drink and provisions to David. And now David kisses him. He gets the royal kiss of the king 
showing his admiration for Barzillai. He is one who rewards faithfulness, our king. And he's victorious. No one will defeat King Jesus on his throne. Just like David was not defeated by Absalom, Jesus is on his throne and he overcame and will overcame. He defeated, the de- he defeated death and the grave, sin and Satan. He is victorious. Okay, third question. How then should we respond to this king, the one who brings judgment but yet is merciful and gracious and initiates peace and pursues us in love and rewards our faithfulness and is the victorious king? How should we respond? Or in other words, how do we get ourselves in his good graces? Well, the characters show us how we're supposed to respond. First, Shimei. Shimei says, Hey, David, I'm the first that's come out to greet you. <laughs> I, I repent. I sinned. I was wrong. Don't hold it against me. It's a beautiful prayer of the contrite heart that we're all supposed to have to God to beg for his mercy. Shimei is trying to save his skin. Has your repentance ever been perfect? Here's Shimei calling on his mercy. He falls down, bows down, as one day every knee will bow down to Jesus, either because we have responded to his mercy or because we're forced to bow down and acknowledge that he's the king. But Shimei comes, as sinful as he is, and he bows down before the king and calls on his mercy. That's our first response. The second response to this kind of king is to respond to his grace with love and with gratitude. I love Mephibosheth here. Mephibosheth says, David, I'm so glad you're back. David says, why didn't you go with me? Mephibosheth says, Ziba tricked me. David says, you can have half the land and Ziba can have half the land. Some say David didn't really trust Mephibosheth here. That's why he split it. Maybe he was just being, again, politically uh, expedient and shrewd. But he says to Mephibosheth, you can have half the land. And Mephibosheth says, I don't even want it. For my earliest days, I deserved death because I was son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul's, and you showed grace to me. All I want is you, David. Who cares about the land? It's the heart that says, you can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. I don't deserve a thing from you, David. You don't owe me a thing, David. I don't even want anything else from you, David. I'm just glad that you're back on the throne and you're king. That's all my heart needs. Oh, I love it. And Mephibosheth showed his sincerity. The text says he didn't wash his clothes. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't cut his nails. He didn't wash and keep his hair. He turned into a junior high boy, showing that his heart was longing for his king. You can have it all. Just give me Jesus. My heart is so grateful. That was Mephibosheth. We call on his mercy. We respond to his grace with love and gratitude. And you know Jesus wants that, right? Remember the story of the 10 lepers in Luke 17? Jesus heals lepers who are outcasts of society. They can't go back in and be with the people. 
So immediately after he heals them, they rush to show their cleanliness to the priests because now we can be back in society. But one of them comes back to thank Jesus for healing them. And Jesus asked this question. Didn't I heal 10 people? How come only one came back? I got to tell y'all, I live in the camp of the nine. Forgetting the grace and mercy that Jesus has shown me, running off. And Jesus is warmed by the heart of gratitude for his grace that Mephibosheth shows here. All right, fourth question. Oh, no, before that, one more before this one, then the fourth question. Barzillai, the Gileadite, what's his story? He serves him in love. Someone has said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's in opposition to earning. Grace is not in opposition to effort. Grace is in opposition to earning. Here is Barzillai, who serves David at Mahanaim. He brings him all the supplies that he needs. And now here he is, and under the kiss of the king, David says, come with me to Jerusalem. And Barzillai says, no, I just want to continue to serve you. And the text says that in his wealth, he blessed the king. He was a wealthy man. And he just wanted to live the rest of his life serving the king. And he receives the kiss of the king. You see, this is our response to God's grace. We serve Christ not to gain his approval, but because we already have his approval. We serve Christ in gratitude for what he's done for us, not to hope to earn anything or keep anything from him. Barzillai here demonstrates this principle. Grace is not opposed to effort. We serve him. We work hard for him because we love him, not to gain something from him, not to try to keep his favor, but because we have his favor. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And Barzillai here shows that he uses his wealth to bless the king. It reminds me of this congregation. Those of you who've been entrusted with so many resources, have used them and continue to use them for the sake of the king and his kingdom, not for your own personal consumption. And it makes the heart of, glad, of your king glad. All right, last question. Are you personally ready for the return of your king? And by being ready, I mean this. Are you prepared and alert? Because this is the picture Jesus gives of what it looks like to be ready. Were the people ready for King David to come back to the throne? Were they prepared for that and were they alert to the fact that he was coming? Are you prepared today and alert to the reality that your King Jesus is coming back? You know, he said he's coming back. In John 14 and 16, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go there and I prepare a place for you, I am coming back. I'm going to get you. I'm going to bring you with me. Jesus has said, I'm coming back. We read Revelation 22. Jesus said, I'm coming. Are you alert and prepared? We have a man that works here in the church, Butch Brewer. And uh, I've developed a huge man crush on Butch Brewer. 
He is the most alert and prepared and servant-minded guy I've ever met. And it's, it's incredible. Uh, in his backseat of his truck, he has more tools than I've ever had in my life or will ever have. And he knows what to do with them. In his back truck, I mean, he, he, he has always prepared for everything. He solves more problems around here before we can get to him. He's always alert and prepared. And I just want to be a man like him. I'm amazed at that. Alert, prepared. Jesus said, are you alert? Are you prepared? And he gives parables to give this, to, to emphasize this. Matthew 24 and 25. Let's just look there. For, don't, don't look there. Just listen to these two places. He starts out by saying there was this, this, this guy who was leaving and he left his servant in charge of his household and he was gone so long that the servant said, he must not be coming back anymore. So the servant started being really rude and abusive to the other servants. And he started kind of partying with them. He was getting drunk and was having a big time because the guy's not coming back. But the guy comes back. And he holds that servant accountable because he was not ready and he was not prepared. He was not alert. Then Jesus talks about uh, the, the ten virgins. Uh, there was this wedding party that was going to happen and, and they took enough oil in their lamps to go out and wait for the bridegroom to come back for the party. Five of them took extra oil. Five of them did not. He took so long coming back that by the time he did show up, those with uh, only enough oil for their lamps had burned out, but those who had extra oil were ready. They put more oil on their lamps, they lit them up, and they welcomed him to go. The others had to go to the store and buy more oil, and when they came back, they missed the party. They were not alert. They were not prepared. And then Jesus talks about the parable of the talents. A king gives talents, one here and three to this guy and five to this guy, and he goes away for a long time, and while he's gone, the uh, five guy makes it uh, ten he doubles the investment. The, the three person doubled his to six. The one person got afraid, didn't know what to do with it, and buried it. And Jesus comes back, or, or the picture of uh, the person coming back and says, you wicked steward, servant, you didn't make good use of the time and resources that you had. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Are you ready? Are you alert and prepared? One more story, there's a man who's in his house and there's a thief that comes in the middle of the night, but if the guy had known and been prepared for when the thief had come, he'd been able to be there and not have his house be robbed. Jesus gives story after story after story to give this point. This is Jesus, dear friends. He's saying to you, are you ready? I'm coming back. What have you done with the resources that I've given you? What have you done with your actions? What have you done with your words? We will be all held account, accountable for what we've done. And this same Jesus says, I'm merciful and gracious. All you have to do is bow the knee to me and you will receive my love and grace. When he comes back, he's gonna make it all right. And he's asking us today, are you ready for his return? Two hunting seasons ago, I was in a deer stand, and there was this one hog that had been on a camera. And uh, this hog had wreaked havoc in this food plot, and we knew he was going to be there. And I was sitting in this one evening in this deer stand for a long, long time, and finally I got so bored and I was sleepy, and I picked up my phone and I started just messing with it. And uh, 
A couple minutes later, I look out, and <laughs> there's the hog. I missed him. And uh, I got so excited and anxious uh, that I dropped my phone, and it went ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Couldn't even get my gun. The hog was gone. I wasn't alert. I wasn't prepared. We don't know when he's coming. But Jesus himself says, I'm coming soon. Be alert. Be prepared. Dear friends, your king is coming. And this final word, if you are somebody who has not yet made Jesus your king, his offer of mercy and grace is to you today. He will save you. Enthrone him as king of your heart, and you do not have to fear when he returns. You will, as we will sing in just a moment, humbly bow in glad adoration that your king has come home. May that be your testimony. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us, forgive me for enthroning false kings in my heart and make me ready for the return of King Jesus that I can hear him say, can we can all say, hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.